Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, a buffet of the essential, the bizarre and the delightful from across the week's coverage. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And on the table this week, why Ferraris are getting fatter in 2018. New shoots for the bamboo industry. And finally, something's coming. Our books and art section explored why this year, over 2,000 events worldwide, will celebrate the centenary of Leonard Bernstein. But first, the new titans and how to tame them was our cover story this week. Facebook, Google and Amazon rule the tech industry. But are they big friendly giants or goliaths in need of a David? Not long ago, being the boss of a big Western tech firm was a dream job. As the billions rolled in, so did the plaudits. Google, Facebook, Amazon and others were making the world a better place. Today, these companies are accused of being bad. Big, anti-competitive, addictive and destructive to democracy. Our cover leader explained that being big doesn't equal being bad. Apple is to be admired as the world's most valuable listed company for the simple reason that it makes things people want to buy, even while facing fierce competition. Many online services would be worse if their providers were smaller. Evidence for a link between smartphones and unhappiness is weak. Fake news is not only an online phenomenon. The problem is they've so far had almost free reign. Unlike publishers, Facebook and Google are rarely held responsible for what users do on them. And for years, most American buyers on Amazon did not pay sales tax. Nor do the titans simply compete in a market. Increasingly, they are the market itself, providing the infrastructure, or platforms, for much of the digital economy. Many of their services appear to be free, but users pay for them by giving away their data. But even if consumers don't yet mind being gobbled up, we argued it's time for some brave knights to take a stand. If this trend runs its course, consumers will suffer as the tech industry becomes less vibrant. Less money will go into startups, most good ideas will be bought up by the titans, and, one way or another, the profits will be captured by the giants. But the old weapons are no longer so effective. The traditional tools of utilities regulation, such as price controls and profit caps, are hard to apply since most products are free and would come at a high price in foregone investment and innovation. Likewise, a full-scale breakup would cripple the platform's economies of scale, worsening the service they offer consumers. And even then, in all likelihood, one of the Googleettes or face babies would eventually sweep all before it as the inexorable logic of network effects reasserted itself. So how to tame the titans? To find out, pick up the latest issue of The Economist, available at all good newsstands, or even better, go to economist.com forward slash subscribe and get the sharpest insights on the world's biggest issues every week. 
The giants of tech are at the front line of what's being called the fourth industrial revolution. And rather than steam or electricity, this revolution is being driven by artificial intelligence. Kay Firth Butterfield is head of AI and machine learning at the World Economic Forum. She joined us for the latest episode of Babbage, our science and technology podcast, and she gave us a glimpse of what's coming. It's probably what I call generation AI. We are having educational AI toys coming onto the market. And we really need to think about how our children interact with those toys and robots. Because I think, and and doing work with some academics in this space, we really need to see that that actually might change what it means to be human in terms of creative play and in terms of how we socialize if our invisible friend is no longer an invisible friend but a talking device. You can hear more of our brave new world every week by subscribing to Babbage. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. If you like what you hear, do rate us because it does mean a lot to us. We stay at the cutting edge now and you'd better bring your machete. A thicket of new innovations is sprouting up in the bamboo industry, as an article in the pages of the business section explained. Fanning out from the sodden delta of the Yangtze and southward to the flanks of the Nanling Mountains, over six million hectares of emerald bamboo groves, one-fifth of the world's reserves, flourish in China. Around 40 billion pairs of disposable chopsticks are made from bamboo twigs annually in China for use with everyday meals. Steel scaffolding is still often shunned for bamboo on skyscrapers under construction in even the ritziest parts of Hong Kong. But to Martin Tam in Hong Kong, this versatile plant is only just beginning to bear leaf. He greets visitors with a can of bamboo juice, proffers a bamboo business card and gestures to a bamboo armchair near his desk. He says the plant should be green gold, for it is one of the world's swiftest growers – gaining up to one metre a day, and can be harvested in under ten years, half the time it takes for the softest woods to mature. Its tensile strength is greater than that of mild steel. It withstands compression twice as well as concrete, and needs next to no watering, pesticides or fertilisers. After all, green is the new black. The International Bamboo and Rattan Organisation, an intergovernmental body based in Beijing, says the renewable low-carbon alternative to plastics and timber is now part of China's environmental leadership bid. Bamboo releases lots of oxygen into the air, swallowing four times as much carbon as some trees. Since 2012, Chinese companies can offset their carbon emissions by buying credits in bamboo plantations. And as well as coming into fashion, this ancient material is getting an upgrade. Taohua Zheng, one of a handful of big companies in the industry, wants to get more high-tech. Peng Zhan of Taohua Zheng is confident that the magic grass could end up replacing steel, timber and plastic. Mr Peng's bamboo composites have, however, been used in everything from railway sleepers to manhole covers. A German marine floorings firm wants to apply his bamboo composites to cruise decks. A Canadian company in the space industry is using them in its telescopes. The sky's the limit.
I wonder what bamboo smells like. Sort of grassy, verdant. I'm running out of adjectives. Thankfully, it's not just me. An article in our science and technology section set out to explain why most people find it so hard to describe smells. Humans have no difficulty putting names to colours, but are notoriously bad at putting names to odours. That might also be caused by how the brain is wired, but some doubt this. They suggest it is more likely a consequence of the tendency of languages to contain words useful to their speakers. A study just published in Current Biology by Asifur Majid at Radboul University in the Netherlands and Nicole Krusp at Lund University in Sweden supports this. They tested lots of different groups from different cultures. Worst of the lot were Americans. When presented with cinnamon, for example, they described it variously as sweet, spicy, wine, candy, edible, and potpourri. When presented with baby powder, they offered vanilla, wax, baby oil, toilet paper, dentist office, hand lotion, rose, and bubble gum as descriptions. Alas, the Yanks were roundly beaten by much more than a nose by a group of Jahai hunter-gatherers from Malaysia. Dr. Majid suggested that it might, in part, be because the Jahai have a dozen words dedicated to describing different sorts of smells in the abstract. The equivalent of colour words such as red, blue, black, and white. For example, the Jahai use the word jung s for stinging sorts of smells associated with petrol, smoke, and various insects, and poleng for bloody, fishy, and meaty sorts of smells. According to Dr. Majid, only musty is able to act in this way in English without drawing on an allergy. Banana-like, gooseberry noted, and even earthy and sweet-smelling are all analogies of some sort. The key is apparently what you do for a living. Presumably, the business of surviving by eating what the forest has to offer requires a more discriminating use of the nostrils than is needed for farming. Let alone sitting at a desk or even in a radio studio. And it seems there might be a rather strong smell of petrol in the air this year. We rejoined our series on the world in 2018 with a special episode on what lies ahead for economics and business. Simon Wright, our motoring correspondent, took the wheel to explain why sleek supercars are being overtaken. The triumph of the SUV may already have happened. In 2017, Ferrari said that it would be making a sport utility-like vehicle. They're going to call it a Ferrari utility vehicle, but that may not fool anyone. It's not just Ferrari. Other fancy car makers are piling in too. Lamborghini's Urus also comes out this year. Urus is a super SUV because it's a super sport car in a different configuration. I think it's probably with some reluctance that Ferrari is making an SUV. They always, in the past, said that they wouldn't do so. But the lure of the profits from SUVs is just too great. And if you can hear over the roar of those SUVs, listen out on Wednesday for the next of the series on the tech that will transform the coming year. Now, Friday's episode of the week ahead took a rare look back. Today marks 45 years since the momentous Roe versus Wade ruling that first legalized abortion in the United States. It's a decision that still excites strong feelings on both sides of the debate. But Anne Rowe, our obituaries editor, looked behind the headlines to introduce us to the real Jane Rowe. Her name was Norma McCorvey. There was one particular interview she did which certainly struck me. 
And that was the one with Ted Koppel on Nightline. This is ABC News Nightline. Reporting from Washington. The most interesting part about it is that all through she calls Ted Koppel sir. Okay, Ironically... You never had an abortion, did you? I mean, no, you, you, no, sir. I never had an abortion. You carried your child to full term. Yes, sir. I did. You wanted an abortion. Yes, sir. Uh, I did. And, and I can't remember anyone else doing that in interviews with him, but she is quite abashed by the situation. She really feels that she is a small creature in this huge national TV scene. And you can listen to the full feature on the week ahead. It's published every Friday. And finally, something's coming. Could be, who knows? There's something due any day. I will know right away, soon as it shows. Our books and art section explored why this year, over 2,000 events worldwide celebrate the centenary of Leonard Bernstein. If you were a well-heeled Massachusetts lady in the late 1920s and wanted your hair fixed like the movie stars, there was one man to turn to, Samuel Bernstein. In 1927, this entrepreneurial immigrant who had arrived in New York from Tsarist Russia, age 16, acquired the only local license to sell the Frederick's Permanent Wave Machine for curling hair. His son Lenny had other ideas, not the curling iron for him, but the conductor's baton. In his passport, Leonard Bernstein simply called himself a musician, characteristic humility from a man whose broad achievements are unique in musical history. He was a composer not just of Broadway masterpieces like West Side Story, but of ballet, opera and chamber music, orchestral, instrumental, choral and vocal works, and even a film score. He was a fine concert pianist and pioneering broadcaster, an educator, Harvard lecturer, writer and humanitarian, a husband, father, lover, and a bona fide celebrity with the good looks, charisma and hair, ironically, of a film star. A boy like that defies definition. Bernstein was curious about all sorts of music, including jazz, folk, blues and kletzman. His own daughter Jamie tells of the joy of devouring Beatles LPs with him. His scores blithely, ingeniously united disparate musical elements and forged a path for future musical mixologists that would have been unthinkable without him. That music was finally attuned to the world around him. His Symphony No. 2, The Age of Anxiety, explored the psychic damage of the Second World War. Condide was expressly conceived as a protest against 1950s McCarthyism. West Side Story tackled with eternal relevance the tragedy of gang warfare and the evils of bigotry and prejudice. And sure, New York, New York is a wonderful town, and you might want to be in America, but in 2018, you'll be able to hear the great man almost anywhere in the world. From the American cities where he was such a beloved fixture, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Washington and Chicago, to Europe, East and West, London, Paris, Berlin, Vienna, Budapest, to countries as culturally diverse as Japan, China, India, Brazil, South Africa and Israel. 100 years since Bernstein's birth, there is, it seems, a place for him everywhere.
So is there a comparable musician for the 21st century? Do send us your nominations for the crown of Bernstein. Email radio at economist.com, Twitter at Economist Radio. You can find more of everything you've heard a sample of here online. In London, this is The Economist. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 